Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The pre-med year, session number 257. Hello and welcome to the three-time Academy of Podcasters award-nominated podcast, The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. I am so happy you are here taking some time out of your day or during your day to turn the radio on in the car and plug your phone in or put your headphones on and listen to this podcast while you're working out, cleaning, walking, wherever you are going, whatever you are doing. Thank you for being here. Today I have a great guest who is a physician and who wrote a book about his journey called Med School Uncensored, The Insider's Guide to Surviving Admissions, Exams, Residency, and Sleepless Nights in the Call Room. Now, Dr. Richard Bedingfield is a non-traditional, or was a non-traditional pre-med student, finding out later in the game that he wanted to be a physician, which you'll you'll hear, and at some point along the line said, you know what, I, I need to write a book about this. And so he did. Right now, he's a practicing cardiothoracic anesthesiologist in Wisconsin. Before we dive in and say hello to Richard, I want to let you know that I have five copies of his book, again, Med School Uncensored, The Insider's Guide to Surviving Admissions, Exams, Residency, and Sleepless Nights in the Call Room. I have five books to give out. If you want to try to win a book, go to medicalschoolhq.net slash 257 and leave a comment in the show notes there in the comment box about what you are most worried about surviving when it comes to medicine, whether it's being a physician, uh, being a medical student, being a resident, what are you most worried about surviving? Since this is a book about surviving, go ahead and leave a comment there. Again, that's medicalschoolhq.net slash 257. I'll pick a winner uh, from those comments. All right, let's go ahead and dive in. We start with Richard talking about when he first realized he wanted to be a physician. It sounds kind of goofy because it's it's such a, uh, it all started as a very offhanded kind of, you know, thing while I was in college. I I think I literally was attracted by free pizza and things like that, you know, but I I was uh, in college at the time I was studying business and and, uh, majoring in computer information systems. uh, And I was uh, no, I just happened to notice this advertisement for a mini med school event at University of Michigan that was free to students. 
I think the lay public maybe had to pay 10 bucks or something that was pretty cheap. But uh, essentially, it was maybe six or seven sessions on Tuesday, Thursday nights, something like that, uh, where you would go and they'd have some dinner. And then a couple of, of speakers from the University of Michigan Med School would speak uh, about a variety of topics uh, related to medicine, kind of on a, almost like a systems-based approach. And um it didn't take very long. I, I, I had always been interested in the sciences, but you know, never, uh, never had really considered medicine. And I think, uh, in all honesty, part of the reason for that was, in part, I just it just seemed so kind of overwhelming with everything that's, you know, you you really have to focus and and uh, know what you're doing and kind of go through a ton of hoops. And and I don't know when I was a freshman in college if I was there <laughs> if I was ready for that. So I'm always impressed when I. I find uh, pre-med students who have known forever and, and have all their ducks in a row and are very good uh, in terms of getting all that organized. But for me, I was I was a senior when I went to this mini med school thing, and I uh, you know went to a couple of sessions. And I remember the first one was was on pathology followed by physiology at the pathology section. There was a lot of anatomy in there as well, and it was uh, taught by a pathologist, uh, a guy named Dr. Abrams, who's now a, a professor emeritus at University of Michigan, and he still does occasional lectures and things. But he uh, took us through a lot of um, a lot of anatomy, and, and uh, they had a plastination lab where they had all these models of plastinated lungs and hearts and different things you could look at at University of Michigan. And and I, I don't know what it was, you know, it was just. Uh, Everything to me was very fascinating about it, and and I, I kind of fell in love at that point, I guess, with just learning about the human body and how it works, and kind of how different diseases develop, and and you know what what exactly all that is, and and I was enjoying what I was doing, working uh, in in information technology. I was doing database design, web programming, things like that, and I just really wasn't. Um, but but you know, it wasn't. I didn't have much of a passion as I felt I was having. Uh, or as I was experiencing about um, learning more about human physiology and, and disease and medicine in general. So it all just stuck in the back of my mind. I worked actually for another year or two. Um, and, you know, as I was ready to graduate, I didn't, I didn't have it in me to say, okay, I'm going to forego graduation for a couple of years and redo all these classes, take the MCAT. So I just went ahead and got my Why not? degree. Uh, well, like I said, I, I, you know, I think because I was, I was already half a year, I was, uh, you know, almost graduated at that time, and and so I, I said, um, you know, I just wanted to make sure, you know, I, I finished the mini med school thing probably within two three months of graduation. It, it would have been a, it seemed to me at the time a Herculean task to go through and and redo everything. And, and, you know, I had some student loans for undergrad. I wanted to kind of chip away at those. And so I, I just graduated and, and truth be told, I also had some other things going on. I, I had, um, I had started a small business in college with a couple of other, um, University of Michigan students that did at the time, uh, setting up internet services for companies and, you know, developing web presences. This was back in the, uh, late '90s, early 2000s, back when that was a more difficult task than it is today, and, and, and you know they needed a lot of handholding, and, and, and so we were a company that specialized in doing that. And at the time, you know, we were busy with that, so I just stuck with that, and I, I continued doing that for another year or two. And after, in the meantime, let me let me stop you there. So after after you do the mini medical stuff, you go yeah, on to graduate. Huh? You're working. Did did you just cut yourself off from? The, the medical field 
completely? Did you did you go and dip your toes into the world of shadowing or anything like that? That's it. Yeah, exactly. That's and that's kind of what I what I did. So I started with uh, volunteering at a hospital that was nearby where I was living at the time. And, uh, you know, just, just like so many other pre-meds do, you know, whenever I had time off, I was volunteering uh, a couple times a week, a few hours each time I did, uh, outpatient surgery. I worked in pharmacy for a little bit. I worked on the, on the medicine wards and, you know, I was doing the same stuff that, you know, all the volunteers do, uh, helping shuttle patients around, changing sheets and helping, uh, you know, just sort of a minor task. And, and what I took that opportunity you know, what, how I took advantage of that was asking everyone that I came in contact with about their careers, what they were doing, um, whether they liked it, if they had any regrets, what they would do differently, or, you know, just trying to pick everyone's brains. I wanted to know if I wanted to do this, I wanted to really commit to it and know I, I had sort of uh, gotten all the information I could. So I talked to a lot of physicians, nurses, advanced practice nurses, PAs, everybody I came in, in uh, contact with. And I started doing some shadowing out of that experience from, you know, the volunteering experience. I met a couple of other physicians uh, and asked them if I could more specifically follow them around for a day, things like that. And so I did some of that. And uh, and then I also, after I had kind of decided, okay, I'm going to go ahead and do this, and I had to go back and, and do some of my prereq classes. So at that time, I was up at the University of Minnesota. I was doing that, and I met someone um, who was in a similar boat, had been out a couple of years from college, and uh, was going back to get their prerequisite classes out of the way. And uh, so we both had that kind of interesting experience of being a couple of 22, 23-year-olds in with the 18-year-olds in Gen Chem and stuff like that. And so we bonded uh, pretty well, and uh, he was working with a uh, research project on health literacy uh, so I started getting involved with that, and I helped him. Uh, I'd go to the county hospital a couple times a week and collect data from patients and helped him uh, run some of the research on that. So those were two of the major things I did before I finally, you know, completed all my prerequisites, took the MCAT, and, and applied. So you you graduated college. It, do, it doesn't sound like you were out in the, the quote-unquote real world for very long before no. you switched gears and said, yeah, this isn't what I want. I, I want to be a doctor. Exactly, yeah. I, I mean, the, the idea was born senior year of my college year, and, by, and that was 2001. And by 2003, I had decided, yes, this is what I want to do. And so I, I went back in, in the middle of 2003 in the summer of that year and started doing my uh, prerequisites that I needed. I had some physics classes, but otherwise I needed almost all the life sciences, um, you know, to apply. So I went back and in, in a year process, um, I, 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 I didn't do a formal post-bac program. I just kind of, um, you know, designed the courses to fit. Uh, and I was able to do some part-time work at nights and things like that to help pay the bills while I was doing it. And I just started with Gen Chem 1 in the summer of 2003, and I finished with OCHEM 2 in the summer of 2004 and took everything else around those. You know, chemistry was the, the main bottleneck, and I took everything else, and then I took the MCAT as soon as I could after that, which I, I believe was in, like, spring of 2004. So, or excuse me, uh, 2005. This That was back, of course, when you could take the MCAT only two times a year. So yeah. it was the, the April and the August, so I took, you know, the first one I could. What was the hardest thing for you graduating college, 
going out into the workforce, having this change of heart, and then and then going back to be a pre-med again, what was the hardest thing to to get over at that point? <laughs> yeah, I I think um you know, I it was um it was a very intense studying period. I I I had been out only I guess a year, but you get used to not having another exam every couple of weeks and that sort of thing pretty quickly. And and so uh I think just having to get back into the the to the groove of being a student and and studying and focusing on exams and all that sort of stuff. Um, I think though, I, I was in my, in my mind, it, it worked pretty well in that I had not been out too long. I'd only been out a year and some change. And so, you know, I, I still remembered how to do it. I could easily hunker down and go back to class and, and it wasn't uh, that much of a leap. I think, you know, if I'd been out say 10 years or something, I, I do empathize with people who have legitimate careers for 10, 15 more years or more years and then go back to school. That can be a very, it's a difficult uh, change in mindset. And then, uh, you know, coming when I was done with my pre-med work and I took the MCAT, then that was kind of a point where I, I was done for the time being. And then I was just focusing on, you know, writing my essays, my secondary applications, all those types of things and interviewing. And I was working in an office at that point, again, you know, just found a job that I could uh, continue to pay the bills and work while I was uh, applying and, and going through the application process in medical school. And that took several months, almost a year, I think, if I, if I look back on the timeline there. And that was a nice um, little respite, I guess, from all the studying, because I, I really was in a very classic nine to five kind of office environment where afterwards we'd go out and have some happy hours and hang out. And, there, you know, there weren't a lot of responsibilities at night. So then I think coming back to med school, that that it, it hit again where I was like, OK, yeah, I got to get back into this. So, you know, anytime you go back into the full time student mode, it's, it takes a little adjustment. What was the the transition from being a, a pre-med, going through that application process, being a medical student obviously is hard. As as you went through that transition, what what allowed you to be successful th- with that transition? Uh, you know, I think I, I, I'd been fortunate that I was always um, always a good student, and, and that was something that uh, was was fortunate for me that even though I hadn't, you know, said, "Well, I'm pre med, so I need to maintain this GPA and that sort of thing." Uh, during my initial run through my undergraduate studies and my, you know, my four years of college, I, I, I thankfully came out with a good GPA, um, and I had had, you know, I, I had times where I certainly had had to work hard. Uh, I do think med school, though, and 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 I kind of touch on that in the book that you know, you can come in, I mean, almost everybody who comes into medical school is a good student and, and comes from being, uh, you know, near or, or at the top of their class and, and frequently didn't have to work extraordinarily hard to do that. I mean, you, you had to study and put in your time, but most people coming in, I think, did never really had a point where they were just struggling to get by and they're getting, you know, consistently getting a bunch of C's and Things like that, you know, you probably aren't going to get into med school necessarily unless you early on can figure out how to turn that around and change your study habits or whatever needs to be done. So I I think that really more than even the time when I went back for my pre-med classes, 
starting med school was really the, the bigger transition point for me where, because, uh, you know, through pre-med classes, they were very difficult. And I was taking nothing but, you know, all the science classes uh, all at the same time. And it was a lot of focus. But I also had the benefit at that point of having actually graduated from college. And, and I was in classes with mostly freshmen and sophomores who, you know, were still kind of figuring it out. So I, I think I had a benefit there in that I had my study skills kind of honed and, and knew sort of how to do well in, in school. I had figured it out at that point after previous four years of undergrad. Uh, I think starting medical school was, was a little bit of a different story. I mean, you know, we started with a, an intense anatomy course where it was six weeks or seven weeks straight of anatomy um, at the end of the summer, you know, just starting your medical school experience. So for me, that was the summer, end of the summer of 2006. And, um, you know, th there were a couple of wake-up calls for sure where I, I took exams and I kind of thought, man, you know, everyone seems to be really just spending a lot of time and, and, and you know, I don't see what the big deal is. This will be fine. And, and, and you know, <laughs> I didn't do so hot on the first <laughs> couple. And, and uh, you know, I, I quickly realized, okay, this is, this is kind of a, it's a different league, you know. I mean, everybody there is a very intense and and uh, dedicated student, and and you can't just uh, it, it really is it, it consumes almost all your time. I mean, you know, it's, so that was that was probably the bigger transition point for me, and I had to not as much as some certainly, but I, I did have to kind of regroup and and even more, I think, hone my studying skills and and how to do well and how to manage my time, you know. And I think one of the things I, I learned early on at that in that time period is um, you're there's no point in sitting there with a, an anatomy book or whatever it is a book in your lap if you've reached that point where you know you're just not acquiring anything more you know and, and I feel like it's very easy in college and high school certainly even more to just kind of casually you know sit there and like you nowadays i guess you're instead of watching tv you're surfing the web and you have your history book in your lap you're kind of doing this sort of part partial studying but in med school i found early on it worked best to to either just fo i'm focused and i'm studying or if i can't retain any more turn it off enjoy my life for a few minutes and then go back when i have time and so i i think that was a transition i had to i had to learn there when you were in those initial phases of medical school, struggling with finding new study techniques and, and in the middle of those classes, did you ever second guess your decision to go down this path? Um, I certainly second guess the decision at, at many points, I'd say. You know, I think, I think most physicians, if they're honest with themselves at some point, have said, man, you know, I don't know if, if this is the right decision or not. Um, I, I'd have to think about where exactly that's been. I think there were times maybe where I, I, I questioned if I was going to be able to do it and do it well. I mean, again, I, I, I was like most people in medical school where, um, you know, through college, you usually are doing quite well. And, and it, it comes, you know, I won't say easily, but, you know, you, you usually are able to be on the top of your class and, and you're very good at it. And in medical school, you know, certainly there were some types of subjects that I, in some types of courses that I was very good at and some that I wasn't as good at and, and I was average or whatever. And, and I think at those times, yeah, you have this a little bit of self-doubt, like, you know, man, did I, I think every, almost every, I won't say every, but almost every med student at some point 
questions like, man, did I somehow just kind of sneak in here and I don't really belong here and that sort of thing? Because you're just surrounded by so many talented and good students. And and so, you know, that I think that was a question I probably had a couple times in, in med school is just kind of uh, that little bit of self-doubt, like, wow, you know, I'm not sure if this is, uh, if I belong here. I, I was always interested in the material though. And I, I never really had a point during med school, I think, where I said, I, I, I regret doing this because I don't find it as interesting as I did or things, you know, as I thought it would or things like that. I think it was more a question of self-doubt, maybe. How do you keep your motivation during those times? Do, did you try to continue to go out and shadow and get be around patients to remind yourself why you're doing this? Yeah, that's a I, you bring up a good point. That, you know, I know medical schools are certainly uh, incorporating more clinical care into the first two years. But, yeah, the pre, preclinical years can be. Uh, a pretty, a pretty challenging time uh, because a lot of times you're right that you know people in medical school have more experience with with patients in their pre med years when they're doing shadowing and, and uh, volunteer work and things like that than they do during the preclinical years, those first two years of med school because so much of it is just sitting there and memorizing and taking exams and going to lectures and you know so I, I think. Um, I think I, I did. I did stay involved, and and I always encourage this. Uh, you know, at some point, I think during the medical training process, doing some research, um, I got involved. Uh, I put my name on a list of students interested in research. I didn't really care that much about what uh, what field. I I had kind of you know already at that point, I'd kind of realized that I enjoyed being in the operating room and, and doing um, more procedural work. I was considering either. Um, initially, I think emergency medicine, anesthesia, and, and some surgical fields. So I put my name kind of in that list of, of students, and I got paired up with a urologist who uh, was doing some research on kidney stone patients. And, and we, st- I started doing that in the first summer between my first and second year. And um, I, I spent a lot of time going in the operating room and collecting data, talking to patients. And then that kind of carried through into the second year of medical school. And, um, you know, that was, that was a lot of, it was a lot of work, uh, cause I did eventually, you know, write up some things and that was tar, you know, you had to juggle that with your other medical school responsibilities, but at the same time, as you point out that I think it, it helped, you know, being with patients. And, and at that time I was still totally fascinated by, by, you know, anything uh, in the operating room and, and, uh, you know, working with procedures and things like that. So at that time, I, I think that kind of helped keep my interest and say, oh yeah, this is, this is why I was interested in this stuff and what I wanted to do, not necessarily memorizing, you know, a bunch of biochemistry that I, you know, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. so yeah, that's, I think that's key finding some way to do that. How do you, you talked about kind of narrowing your, your specialties down to some of the procedural based anesthesia, emergency medicine, surgical stuff. How did you go about that process of figuring out what exactly you wanted to, to be when you grew up? Well, since I was a, a, as you pointed out, kind of a non-traditional student and had, uh, didn't decide to go into medical school really until a year or so after graduating college. Obviously, I have a track record of not being necessarily the most efficient at the process of figuring out what I want to do. Uh, but I, I think it was a little bit um, more organic in uh, medical school. I, you know, I, I think I, I enjoyed I enjoyed internal medicine. I enjoyed you know psychiatry. I enjoyed all the rotations I took. Some more than others, of course, but. 
I, I tried to always approach, and I always recommend this to pre-meds, I, I try to approach every time we'd start over with a new rotation, I, I would approach it with as much of a blank slate as I could and try to not come in with any sort of prejudice and, and say, you know, I'm, I, I don't know much about this. I'm going to see what this is. Who knows? Maybe I'll love this, you know. And it didn't matter if it was OB, PED, psych, whatever. And um, so I, I tried to be really open-minded, and, and I enjoyed them all. I enjoyed different aspects of different specialties. But at the, at the end of the day, I personally found that I was more willing to, you know, stay late, or, I, 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 or at least I, I didn't. I wasn't as begrudging when I, you know, had to stay a couple hours later, and I was coming home, and it was midnight, or whatever the situation would be in situations uh, where I was dealing with a more hands-on specialty or rotation. Um, and so, yeah, emergency medicine, I think, was one of the early ones I had, I had contact with and, and certainly surgery and some of those. Um, you know, it can be difficult for, depending on how your medical school setup is arranged, uh, some students, they don't have a lot of rotations until later in their second year. And unfortunately for, uh, you know, the way things work, it, it's you kind of have to get on the ball in terms of choosing your specialty by starting in that point. So um, I, I lucked out that at the University of Minnesota, at least at that time, they had a fairly flexible way of arranging our classes. And I kind of knew from my shadowing experiences that, you know, my volunteer and shadowing experiences as a pre-med that I had enjoyed my time working in outpatient surgery and some of those types of things. So I early on stuck in there, you know, little three-week rotations in my first year of medical school towards the end of it uh, in anesthesia and in emergency medicine as well. And so that helped getting some exposure uh, to those types of fields and then surgery as well. And from there, I think, you know, it was – because then your next question, I, I, I think a lot of people kind of early on, they, decide, they, they know, oh, yeah, I love psychiatry or I love, you know, pediatrics. I want to work with children or things like that. But for, for in a larger scale, there certainly is a kind of I want to do more of a of a non procedural specialty or a you know where I'm mainly doing clinic visits and and long term management and things like that, or I want to do something more procedural where I'm either in the emergency room or in the operating room or or maybe through medicine going into GI or cardiology or something along those lines. So from there, it was kind of just deciding the individual details. Uh, number one. Did I enjoy the work of surgery enough to do a surgical residency? You know, that's, I think, a big decision because I think surgeons, uh, more than a lot of specialties, that's that's a very, very consuming specialty. And you need to know that you absolutely love it and, and that's you're not going to be satisfied unless you're doing surgery. And I think those are the most successful and happy surgeons if they know that that's them and they go through it and they become some sort of whatever type of surgeon they become. And, and then, you know, if you don't feel that surgery is something you want to do, then you have those other options like, you know, ER and anesthesia and things like that. And so I just kind of decided what um, what practice setting I enjoyed the most. And I really liked working in the operating room. For me personally, I didn't. Uh, I enjoyed working sort of on the more uh, the medical side of it and, and just being in the operating room, actually being on the other side of the curtain doing the surgical work wasn't as exciting or interesting to me to do it. So I, I chose anesthesia and I think, you know, that's not that uncommon really. It's kind of uh, for people, it's a nice specialty. I think if you like working in the operating room, but don't necessarily love the, uh, the, the surgical, uh, you know, the, the, the day in and day out stuff of surgery. 
for a student who's going through the process, maybe a, a pre-med that's trying to figure out what they want to do with their life and they're they're thinking about anesthesia or maybe radiology and they look and they're like, okay, radiology, a lot of it's being outsourced now or we have machine learning to to help radiologists diagnose things and so we need less radiologists and with anesthesia, there's CRNAs and they're kind of taking over the world. Was that something that that you thought about as you were choosing your specialty? Go, well, how stable will my life be if CRNAs take over the, the operating room? Uh, yes, for sure. You know, I, I, I mean, uh, coming from, you know, coming from a business school, my undergrad, I've always been a, a little bit practical in, in my analysis of things. And, and I think, um, I think as I've gone through actually becoming a physician and working in private practice, I've realized that these sorts of debates and questions about the personnel and, and kind of the, the turf wars and these things are, they're kind of all over the place. You know, they're a lot broader than just anesthesia and CRNAs. That's a, that's a very typical uh, example. Um, you know, like certainly there's a lot of emergency uh, room stuff where, or emergency uh, department uh, has similar issues where some emergency departments don't have ER trained people and they just have, you know, internal medicine or whatever, or in, in more remote areas, they have physician assistants manning ERs. Uh, you could have like orthopedic foot and ankle specialists versus podiatrist, you know, they, they sort of go on and on. I, I, I think at the end of the day, I, I was fascinated by anesthesia and that environment. And I just started talking to more and more people and you know, I, I, I don't know the answer. I think in my experience, personally, I work in an anesthesia care team environment with CRNAs, nurse anesthetists. And, um, you know, I trained in, uh, I did residency in Milwaukee in a city that historically had a lot of uh, hospitals in which anesthesiologists sat their own cases. And, um, you know, there are some CRNA pro or more CRNAs are kind of going into that market. It's becoming more and more of an anesthesia care team model. So I've seen a lot of the different, you know, options and I've heard a lot of the arguments at the end of the day. All I know is, um, at our hospital and I think at most hospitals, uh, if, if, you know, the acuity of patients is is doing nothing but increasing at most big hospitals in in metropolitan areas, anyways. Um, and I think in, the same is true in remote hospitals in rural areas. You know, they're they're seeing a lot of the patients. Sometimes they transfer in. But what what I mean by that is, you know, gone are the days where your average surgical patient is a thirty five year old with maybe some high blood pressure, and that's it. I mean, we're routinely now in the operating room working on people in their seventies, eighties, and even nineties. We're doing heart surgeries on them. We're doing big liver resections, you know, lots of orthopedic care. And these are sick patients, you know, and, and they require um, a lot of understanding of all the physiology going on, the medicine. And in general, um, I think there's a place for all the different uh, providers of care. And, um, you know, I have not, like, at, I mean, at our hospital, in all honesty, I feel like our hospital is always saying, yeah, we, you know, we need more anesthesiologists. Let's get some more. And uh, it's the same with a lot of the other fields uh, that have both, you know, and I know some people don't like the term, but mid-level providers, however you want, I'm just summing up, in other words, advanced practice nurses, physicians, assistants, 
anyone who's not a physician but but is providing uh, direct patient care in a capacity more than just a, a registered nurse. All that category, you know, most specialties have those folks, but that's not reducing the demand for physicians. Because I think at the end of the day, most hospitals that take care of complex patients appreciate the uh, the education and the experience that physicians bring, regardless of the specialty. And, uh, you know, from my observation, uh, the demand for physicians across all specialties is, is going up and is still very high. And uh, only in the most saturated markets, I think, is that not the case? You know, will that be the, the case for 50 years, 100 years? You know, certainly, as you said, there's automation, there's outsourcing, all these other things you can talk about. It, that's difficult to say, you know, I, I, nobody has a crystal ball. And I think if, if you asked, um, you know, the thing that struck me to bring this full circle is when I talked to the anesthesiologist I was shadowing, most of them said, you know, this anesthesiology CRNA thing, people have been talking about it since the 60s, 70s, <laughs> you know, and, and I found that the same. I, I mentioned this in the book once that um, one of the physicians that during the mini med school experience that I became a little bit of a mentor of mine early on in my career when I first started making the decision to go into medical school, he said, you know, he, he started practicing, uh, he was a pre-med right when uh, the Medicare Act was passed, you know, and he said his family practitioner told him, he said, uh, you know, don't go into medicine. Medicare is going to ruin it. You know, it's all going to be socialized medicine. And, and you know, it's that sort of thing. And I think any pre-med or anyone as a physician has been that experience. There's always someone who's kind of in the mid or late career stages, who's bemoaning electronic medical records or, you know, the, the hospital administrators. Mm. Any now, change. A, yeah, exactly. ACA, Obamacare, whatever yep. it is, you know, and there's always going to be something. There's always going to be people, I think, towards the later stages of their career who don't like the changes. And that may be me in 20 years. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, he said, just be, be a little wary of that because that, that's been going on forever. And medicine, you know, one of the interesting things, I mean, I think it's one of the things that certainly makes it difficult to predict the future. But one of the interesting things is that it, it is changing so rapidly. I mean, we're having advances in technology and, you know, treatment modalities and all these sorts of things that are making some things possible now that weren't possible at all, even just 10 or 15 years ago. I mean, so I, I specialize, or I specialize in cardiothoracic anesthesia. I did a fellowship in, in that, and and I, I spend you know about a third of my time at the hospital focused on cardiac surgery patients and that sort of thing. So we're doing now an increasing number of transcatheter valve replacements, uh, where where cardiologists at our hospital, in conjunction with cardiac surgeons, um, are doing what used to be an open chest, open heart procedure, aortic valve replacement. And now doing in an hour and a half, couple hours uh, under deep sedation with some local anesthetic or you know uh, local numbing medication in the groin and using catheters to go up and deploy uh, new aortic valves. And you know I can't imagine that a cardiac surgeon twenty years ago, for instance, would have thought, oh yeah, that's that's going to be increasingly the normal way to replace a, a you know a, a, a tight uh, aortic valve, a stenotic aortic valve, and so, you know, those that's completely changing and disrupting huge uh, areas of, of cardiac surgery and cardiology just the way that stents did back in the 80s and 90s with cardiac stents. So, you know, I, I think it's difficult. Uh, 
to, to predict. It, medicine's changing so rapidly. At the end of the day, I think you just have to decide what do you really enjoy? Uh, you know, talk to some of the people in the field and, and, and go ahead and commit to it, hang your hat to it. Um, and, you know, I, I just, yeah, I hope I can get a good career out of it. I think I will. <laughs> I'm optimistic. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's, yeah, there is no, there is no surefire 100% answer to it. But uh, I personally, you know, have not seen physicians in, in, uh, in, in short demand, I should say. It seems like, you know, everyone wants more physicians and more highly trained people. So, because the patients are getting sicker, procedures are getting more complicated. Let's talk about med school uncensored. When did you realize mm-hmm. on this journey that you wanted to be an author and write a book about it? <laughs> yeah, um, it, it really was some point. As I talk about the introduction to the book, it was some point during the um, during my senior year of medical school. I, I volunteered to to mentor. Um, some pre-meds, you know, at the University of Minnesota. And there was a particular instance where I, I met a, a, a young pre-med for coffee and, and a couple of those pre, those mentoring relationships actually lasted, you know, through the year. This one, it was only this one meeting. I don't know if I, it kind of fell off contact with me, but it, it struck me for some reason. We met, uh, we had some coffee and, you know, I told him, I said, look, you know, I'm only a few months now from finishing medical school. I've been through all the major rotations, a ton of extra, you know, uh, uh, elective rotations. I have a lot of experiences. I've taken step one of the boards. I, I've already made my specialty selection. What do you want to know about the process and like what it's like to be in medical school? I mean, I can tell you anything about it. And all of his questions were kind of just, you know, what MCAT school, like, this is my MCAT. Do you think that's good enough? This is my, I'm thinking about writing this for my essay topic. Do you think that's good? And, you know, everything was some sort of variation of, do you think that I'm going to get in? And how do I improve my chances of getting mm-hmm. in? And how do I get in? And I understand that. I mean, you know, you're a pre-med. So by definition, you, you're planning on going to medical school. That's your goal at that point. I mean, the same way that you tell an eight-year-old, hey, your job right now is school. You know, don't worry, don't get distracted, like focus on your school. Uh, a pre-med is focused on getting into medical school. So I, I appreciate that and I understand it. I know it's a very it's a very complicated process. But at the same time, I, I started asking him some questions, you know, simple questions about, well, what do you why do you want to go to medical school? And like wh- what do you expect that it is when once you're in and and what do you think uh, happens after medical school? And and some of these little questions that, he, and he really had no idea. And he and he admitted that you know he he a lot of some physicians you know a decent number come from families in which uh, either siblings or their parents or someone else is a physician. That's not that uncommon certainly. But there are a lot of people who don't have any direct experience with someone they can trust and ask all these questions. And so, you know, while I, I think there's always going to be a place, as, as I said earlier, for, for books uh, that, you know, and forums and other uh, means of, of helping pre-meds with the details and, and the logistics of how to get in and, and kind of reassuring them about different steps along that way, I thought, you know, there seems to be something missing that uh, tells pre-meds and early medical students this is what medical school is like. Uh, and, and, you know, I do talk and certainly in med school and sensor a little bit about the pre-med process and, and I kind of boil down some of the basics of it. 
but I leave a lot of the details to other other folks because there's no shortage of that and there's plenty of good options. But what I really try to get at is is this is the big picture. And, and what I imagined is if someone had, say, an older brother, an older sister who's maybe six, seven years older and, and you know, the person's a pre-med and their older sibling just finished the process or is maybe a resident or, or you know, something a few years down the line and you sat down, you know, you're sitting down over some coffee or over a beer and, and the person, uh, you know, the older sibling is just kind of telling you, Hey, this is how it really is, you know? And and that was my mindset. I wanted to give a sort of unvarnished, this is what you're going to have to go through. This is, uh, this is what's really important. These are some things that people are going to tell you are important, but they're not really that important. Uh, this is some of the stuff you're going to get to in residency. This is how you can, you know, the whole specialty selection works, and then I go all the way through to, you know, whether or not to do a fellowship, what's involved with that, pros and cons of it, and then the actual process of getting your first job and some of the things of, you know, hey, this is what you need to watch out for. These are some things that you can do to help you, you know, with the process. And uh, and I kind of take it through all those steps, starting from the pre-med experience all the way through uh, residency or med school residency fellowship, if, if someone elects to do that, and then the first say year or two of getting their first job and kind of the things to look out for there. And so that's, that was kind of the idea I wanted to, um, you know, have something for those folks who don't have a very close friend or a family member or somebody who is in medicine has been through all of it that can say, Hey, here's what it is. And, and I, I, so that stuck in my mind kind of from the senior year of medical school at that interview with that one student. And obviously, I, I mean, I know, I think Michael Crichton wrote Andromeda Strain back as a senior in medical school. I have no idea how he did it. I, <laughs> I certainly, I did not have any time to write a book during residency. I was just keeping my head above water and doing residency. But, you know, I, I, I did fellowship, had a little more time on my hands in fellowship. So that was when I started just kind of jotting down the table of contents, what I would talk about, you know, that sort of thing. And then, you know, in between fellowship and getting my first job and throughout those first few months, I just hit the ground running and, and wrote all my thoughts down. And uh, I wanted to get it while it was still fresh in my mind. And I had kind of a of a, uh, a trainee mindset still, you know, because it's very easy once you're practicing for a while, you know, you're in a year or two in, in, as a physician. And then, you're you know, you, you get used to a lot of the actual just clinical work. And it's not a really big surprise to you anymore. You're like, yeah, of course, you know, I'm a doctor. This is what I do. And, uh, and then, and then, you know, we all just get so, um, kind of closed in as, as, you know, you go into the doctor's lounge and people are griping that they move the coffee machine over 10 feet or whatever. You know what I mean? It's that sort of, you get a little different perspective after you, you do it as an attending for a while. So I wanted to do it right out, you know, right out of fellowship when I still had a bit of a training, uh, mentality in mind. So I could be sort of that older sibling saying, look, this is how it really is and, and go through the whole thing. And so that was kind of the, the process. And then I, I wrote it all down and, and I, then I said, well, I don't even know what to do with this now. And I, I, you know, I, I started reading some books on, on how to publish a book and, and all that stuff. And then the rest is history. So. Yeah. Well, congratulations on getting a book out to having done it myself. I know it's, it is a very long process and right, uh, right. Yeah. Uh, med- medical school does not teach you how to do that. No. After you've been through this process now, you wrote a book about it. Uh, you probably have a T-shirt about it, too. That's the goal of going through every process is to get a T-shirt about <laughs> it as well. 
What would you yeah. do to motivate? What would you say to motivate the the next generation that's listening to this, thinking about going into medical school? It's funny because my experience has been when I, I've gone to a couple of um, you know I've, uh, University of Wisconsin here locally, different colleges. I've just started kind of uh, going to some different conferences and things and talking to pre meds. And my general impression is I'm just overwhelmed by how motivated pre meds are. You know, I just I've I've forgotten you know that that level of, of motivation and and it's just a very sort of pure uh excitement about the field and it's very refreshing that's been one of the most enjoyable parts of doing this as i'm sure you've you've experienced that too it's like i said it's so easy to get bogged down and complaining about some hospital rule and things like that so i i think most pre-meds from my experience are they have the motivation and they have the the drive i think the the thing to remember is is you know, kind of touching on your question about like, for instance, the CRNA issue, or if someone's worried about like the, you know, the Affordable Care Act or, or whatever's going on in Washington, D.C. right now, who knows, you know, I, I think try to try to not get bogged down in that stuff, you know, because the details are going to change. It, the training process of to become a physician is so long. If you're a pre-med right now, you know, it's, it's what, 2017, you're probably really not going to be practicing till at the earliest somewhere around 2027. I mean, it's about a decade out at minimum. That's assuming you do a three-year residency because you're going to, it's going to be a couple more years for your med schools, four years of med school, at least three years of residency. Uh, you know, many folks that do fellowships now after medical school, they're spending anywhere from five up to seven, eight years of training after medical school. So it's a very long process. None of us has a crystal ball. I mean, because when I started as a pre-med, nobody was talking about Affordable Care Act. Nobody was talking about, uh, it, you know, a lot of these issues that uh, the, the outsourcing or radiology thing had just kind of started talking about, you know, and, and then people are going to be talking about completely different things by, by 2027. So whatever issue of details, you know, logistics of it and, and political things that you're worried about aren't even going to be relevant in 10 years. So what I would say is just, you know, and, and this kind of is how I stayed motivated is, is just remember why you want to do it. It's either, you know, you love working with patients, you, you love the science behind it, you want to learn about the human body and how it works and and that sort of childlike fascination of that stuff is what's going to get you through and you know a desire to help people in a very intimate fashion those those types of goals are, are going to be what gets you through the day if you try to say you know i really like it but if washington dc decides to do this then i'm out you know I, that you can't get too distracted with that stuff because it, it's changing and, you know, it's similar thing as I, I've, I mentioned in the book that, you know, I remember some pre-meds would tell me, I want to go into medicine because I want to find a cure for, you know, whatever it is. They'll, they'll name a specific disease. And, and I, I would say, well, that's good, but that's maybe a little too specific because, you know, by the time you're, you're actually out there, that may not even be an issue. You know, there may be a treatment for it or whatever. So, so try to just really focus on the broad goals that you have as to what, what drew you in. And, and like I said, for me, it was initially just a real fascination with learning more about the human body, how it worked, the disease process, physiology, those sort of basic uh, tenets of, of medicine. 
And, uh, and I always enjoyed working with people and, and, uh, having a job where I could interact with a lot of different people of all sorts of walks of life. And, and that's what did it for me. Whatever's drawing you to medicine, just hold on to that and don't get distracted with, you know, the, the political stuff, the economic stuff, things like that. You'll figure out some way and, uh, there will always be an opportunity for you. Um, you know, it may not look exactly like what you're expecting right now, but it'll be there. All right, there you have it. Again, that was Dr. Richard Bedingfield, cardiothoracic anesthesiologist, as well as author of Med School Uncensored. If you want a chance to win the book, go to medicalschoolhq.net slash 257. Leave a comment there on that page about what you are most worried about surviving, in air quotes, whether it's the, the pre-med world, getting into medicine, getting into medical school, residency, etc. I have five copies of his book to give out. I hope you have a great week. Next week, I have a great guest, the Dean of Admissions for Nova Southeastern University, College of Osteopathic Medicine, now known as the Dr. Kieran C. Patel College of Osteopathic Medicine. 